Ecclesiastes chapter 5, reading at verse 1. Stand in awe of God. The teacher writes, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. Verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Welcome to Peace Lutheran Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Brad Schollenberg. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, and Solomon asks us to check our motives and our heart for when we come to God's house to meet with him. What is the attitude of our heart and our mind? Did we come prepared to meet with God or, or just roll in and roll out to be entertained as if the point of worship service was the same as a concert or a movie to put on a good performance for you? Think about it. The last time you gathered with God's people for corporate worship, were you there? to meet with God and listen to him. Well, this problem or this habit of going to church and having things go in one ear and out the other, well, it's 3,000 years ago this was a problem as well. Today, things have arguably only gotten worse with consumer Christianity where the church is perceived as a place where the customer is king and the church exists to provide religious goods and services. And as a result, people think that living like hell for 167 hours a week can be made up with a nice dress or suit and going through the motions for one hour on Sunday morning. And so sometimes church is thought of as kind of a soul car wash. Solomon begins this unit of thought by speaking to worshipers in verse 1. The truth is, really, everyone everywhere is continually worshiping. Ask yourself, who do you live for? Who inspires you? Whose approval do you live for? What do you live for? And what motivates you and what defines you? Biblically, worship is not limited to a time, a place, a style of music. 
Worshippers of the Old Testament god Molech sacrificed their children, not unlike abortion today. The worshippers in the New Testament, city of Corinth, had a spirituality that included going to the, their pagan temple to sleep with prostitutes, not unlike the adult websites and adult clubs in our day. See, there really is nothing new under the sun. While the God of the Bible cares a lot about worship, as our creator, he rightly deserves to be the sole object of our worship because created things are unworthy of such glory. Only the creator is worthy of worship and we're made by God and we were made for God and worship is to be to the right God in the right way with the right heart and attitude. When people say, don't we all just worship, worship the same God? Well, the answer is no. The purpose of the temple to which Solomon refers to, that was the second place, if you will, the first place of worship was the tabernacle. But the second temple constructed by Solomon, who was author of Ecclesiastes and king of Israel. God was the architect that, who designed that temple, and it took 153,000 workers seven years to construct it. Now, the temple was not needed by God. He didn't need a temple here on earth, but rather the temple was needed by God's people. The God who created the heavens and the earth he does not need a home built by us, but we need a home in which to meet with him. And there were five primary purposes for the temple. First of all, place. Temple was the place of connection between God's home in heaven and our home on earth. So God and people could meet together in the temple. Presence. Number two, the temple was the place where God's presence dwelt on the earth and the Holy of Holies in its center. Three, people. The temple was the place where God's people could gather together in God's presence. Four, priests. The priests oversaw the ministry at the temple. The high priest was the mediator or intercessor between God and his people. And then fifth, propitiation. In the place of the sinful people, priests would offer a sacrifice for their sins. Solomon admonished that the first responsibility of a worshiper coming to meet with God is to not be rash with your mouth or quick to speak and to draw near to listen. He says a fool uses many words and the language is strong because the issue is important. Practically, this means that when we sit in silence to see if the Holy Spirit might speak a word to us, we are worshiping. For this reason, the worship time is not solely when we sing songs to the Lord, no, no, no. The worship time is when we sit in silence to
to listen to God's word when it's read, when it's preached. Because worship is responding to God, we need to listen before we respond and speak. God comes to us in worship. Learning to, be, learning to begin our time with God by listening helps us avoid two common errors in worship. One, some people come to meet with God as if they were going to impress Him. Two, some people come to meet with God as if they were meeting with an employee who needed a long list of orders for their boss. I mean, God loves us, God serves us, but God does not take orders from us or follow us. According to Maslow, our highest need is self-actualization, which leads to self-love, self-help, and self-esteem. In such thinking, nothing is above the self. And if there is a God or God, gods, goddesses, then he, they, she exists to, in effect, worship the human self so we can be all we can be. Conversely, according to the Bible, our highest need is not self-actualization, but rather God-glorification, which, which leads to God-love, God-help, and God-esteem. Having established that God is the center of worship, not us, and that worship begins with listening and not speaking, Solomon has given us a biblical pattern of worship. He goes on to speak about thoughtless worship of a mindless fool. As a father who is good, when we, meet, when we meet with God, we assume he will bless us, and then he'll speak to us. And that pattern began at the very beginning in creation. We read in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said... And that's what our worship is. God blesses us and then he speaks to us. Furthermore, because God is sovereign, he cannot be controlled, he cannot be manipulated or forced in any way to do anything. He is sovereign. Think about it. In paganism, people are at the center of worship and God comes to submit to our demands. In pagan thinking, God is not a good and loving Father, but instead can be manipulated into doing what the worshippers want. That explains why rituals and spells and incantations and other things are common in pagan worship, because they are wrongly viewed as ways to make the spirit world do what people want in the physical world. Sometimes even God's people worship in ways that are kind of pagan. This includes rash promises and vows that are usually uttered when someone is under pressure and wanting to cut a deal with God. One common example would include someone who wants God to do something, and so they swear to God, swear on a stack of Bibles, that they will do something if he comes through for them. Sadly, once the crisis passes, they do not follow up on their vow because they did not really mean it in the first place. Continuing to stress the importance to not make rash, foolish, or empty promises to God, Solomon reminds us that such things, they make God angry. 
to make this very practical, I want to look at inner vows we make between us and God and outer vows we make with someone else to God because he talks about, Solomon does, about making vows. Inner vows are pledges and promises we make internally to guide our future life decisions like Matthew 5 verse 33 to 37 warns about vows saying, I say, this is Jesus, I say, do not make any vows. Often an inner vow is made from our pain and intended to keep us from being hurt ever again. When we're hurting and in pain, we can make rash decisions and make vows that seem to protect us in the short term but only harm us in the long term. And the problem with an inner vow is that it takes an area of our life and removes Jesus as Lord over it. Rather than allowing him to speak into and rule over that area of our life, we take matters into our own hands, which is sinful, foolish, and dangerous. If we've made inner vows, we need to repent of them as, as a problem and break the stronghold they have over our life. You can make all the promises in the world, but it's better that you ask God for help with your issues. Outer vows are pledges and promises we make to God with another person or persons. And the most common example is marriage. I mean, in most wedding ceremonies, the couple stands together in the presence of God to make vows to one another and God in the presence of witnesses. Sadly, though, many times these vows are not taken seriously by the bride and groom. Sometimes they're even rewritten. So instead of vows, sometimes there are sentimental platitudes that are sometimes little more than wishful thinking intended to impress the friends and family but not guide their life together with God. Promises to love, forgive, honor, serve, along with pledges to fidelity sometimes don't stick. And the tragic result is broken hearts and broken families that could have been prevented if the husband and wife meant and kept the vows they made. Behind vows and worship is the fear of the Lord. And the Bible speaks a great deal about fearing God. Solomon does the same in verse 7, driving us to live life in the face of God, or what older theologians called quorum deo, in the presence of God, that's how we are to live our life. When we die, we'll, we'll all stand and give an account before God, and it will not be to a mirror. We come from God, we belong to God, and one day we'll stand before God. For those who do not believe, fearing God means considering your eternal fate when you stand for judgment before a holy and righteous God who sees all and punishes sinners who have rejected the salvation he offered through Jesus Christ. This kind of fear is sobering and should give people a sense of urgency to get right with God. For the Christian, fearing God means living a God-centered life that honors, respects, considers God in all things. This kind of fear is not terror. 
but rather the kind of response a child should have to a godly father who loves them. Think of respect. This kind of thinking is completely countercultural in an age when men no longer stand when a woman enters the room and having issues with authority is no longer considered an, an issue at all. Rebellion against God and godly authority is not just tolerated, but in fact celebrated today. This includes a cultural expectation that children can disobey and defy the parents that God gave them. Recently, a good example of rebellion against authority can be seen in the blockades that took place all across the country. It's one thing to get your message heard. It's another thing to break the law and disrespect authority. But in our day and age, it's completely okay to disrespect and disobey authority. Our government and leaders are by no means perfect, but they still need to be respected as God's servants. Coming to meet with God in worship is to invite the kingdom of God to rule and reign in our lives. This causes us to focus on our King, the Lord Jesus, and begin by listening to him so that we might become more like him. Today, the temple that Solomon mentions as their place of worship, well, guess what? That no longer exists as a place where we must go to worship God. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, if you remember, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom, from God to us, as his presence, God's presence, released from one place so that we have the ability to meet with God in any place. We have access to Almighty God because of the death of Jesus Christ, which paid for our sins. See, they no longer separate us from our Heavenly Father. By 70 AD, that temple was destroyed, just as Jesus promised it would be. And today it's rubble. As Christians, we do not need to go there to meet with God physically. Instead, we meet with Jesus Christ spiritually wherever we may be physically. We meet with God in his word, the Bible, and his sacraments. This is because the temple was a foreshadow of the coming of Jesus. And you think about it, Jesus fulfills the five functions I mentioned earlier of the temple place. Jesus as God became a man and the connecting point between heaven and earth. Two, presence. Jesus is the presence of God on the earth. He was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Three, people. Jesus is where the people of God go to meet together spiritually in worship. We all come together in the name of Jesus Christ. Christians all over the world gather around Jesus Christ. Four, priest. Well, Jesus, the Bible says, is our high priest and our mediator between God and man. He's called the God-man. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And propitiation. 
Jesus is the one who laid down his life to atone for our sin. He alone reconciled us to our Creator. He sacrificed himself once and for all for our sins. The Bible teaches that because of Jesus, our bodies are now the temple where God dwells by his Spirit. Practically, this means that we do not have to go to one place to meet with God, but rather God has come to meet with us in any and every place. And for these reasons, all of life is worship and lived in the presence of God, who speaks to us about all of life and welcomes us to listen to him and walk with him in all life. As a result, every moment of every day is an opportunity to worship God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is this not the way it was in the beginning when the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day? God present with his creation. And is this not the promise for our future? Revelations, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So, think about it. Next time you go to church and worship, think about, stop and listen. Listen. And that will be your worship where you meet God in his word and his sacraments. Amen.